Hi, everyone. This is Mike DeBliss. The topic of this podcast is IRS audits are down, but don't let your guard down on red flags that never fail to disappoint. So let's set the picture for um, this uh, for this podcast and uh, provide some background information. You filed your 2017 tax return or you're about to do so and you have one probing question that's on your mind. It's a question that every taxpayer has on their mind this time of year. What's the likelihood that the IRS will audit me? Well, I don't know about you, but even the thought of an IRS tax audit can lead to sleepless nights. And that's for us tax attorneys just as much as it is for um, any, uh, any other person in the uh, United States. The good news is that your chances of getting audited are pretty low. Um, statistically speaking, last year the IRS audited just one in 160 individual income tax returns, and that was the lowest since tax year 2002. But before you get too excited, one thing you want to be aware of is that not all tax returns receive similar attention. There are certain returns that raise red flags with the IRS, while others are considered to be utterly benign. So let's discuss some red flags that could trigger an examination. If your return has any one of these red flags, the best thing you can do is to be prepared. And what I mean by that. Um, is to have the proper documentation and information at your fingertips in case the IRS comes knocking at your door. Let's begin with prepaying state income taxes in 2017. Now, as you will recall, back in 2017, the new tax law that Congress passed placed a ceiling on the deductibility of state and local income property and sales tax at 10,000 for tax year 2018. So what happened in the wake of that is that most tax professionals uh, provided advice to their clients in order to blunt the impact of this um, of this uh, ceiling on deductibility in 2018. And the advice that was given is uh, for taxpayers to prepay, their 2018 state income taxes in December of 2017 to secure the deduction for their 2017 returns. Well, Congress caught wind of this and quickly prohibited it. However, the fate of prepaid 2018 property taxes is not as clear and many tax professionals believe that the deduction is appropriate for 2017 returns. Now let's talk a little bit about itemized deductions that are on the um, outliers or are on the fringe. The IRS uses this computer scoring, a computer scoring system rather, to select returns for examination. Each return receives a numeric score. IRS examiners screen the highest scoring returns. So if your return earns a score over a certain number or within a certain range, that will um, receive scrutiny 
at the hands of the examiner. And the examiners not only will screen the highest scoring returns, but they may and oftentimes do select some of them for examination. And they identify the items on these returns that are most likely to need review. So it's a streamlined process. Um, it's not just you know random and arbitrary, although it might seem that way. Uh, there is a method to the madness. And um, as I said, computer scoring to select returns for examination is a tool that the IRS uses um, in selecting exams for uh, in, the, in selecting returns for examination. So what this means in layman's terms is that if you're if items on your return are out of alignment or inconsistent compared to the national average, such as higher itemized deductions compared to income or unusually large charitable contributions, your return is more likely to be selected for audit. Here are a few examples of the average amount of deductions taxpayers with adjusted gross incomes of 50 grand to 100,000 took on their 2014 tax returns if they claimed these specific write-offs. So what I'm going to do here is give you a, a few illustrations of the average amount of deductions that accompanied adjusted gross incomes of between $50,000 to $100,000 in uh, tax year 2014. So with adjusted gross income of between $50,000 to $100,000, the average um, write-offs for medical expenses came to $9,614. Um, so if your medical expenses, if you are within that adjusted gross income range of fifty grand to hundred grand in tax year 2014, and your write-offs for medical expenses exceeded um, an amount that was, you know, in excess of 9614 um, that could potentially be a flag for an audit. Now, let's be practical here. I'm not suggesting that medical expenses in the amount of $9,700, um, medical expense write-offs in the amount of $9,700 are enough to um, raise a red flag. However, you know, if the average amount in write-offs for medical expenses of gross income between 50 grand and 100 grand were 9,614 and you took medical expense write-offs in the amount of $20,000, then that is very likely going to be a red flag. How about interest? Well, the write-offs for interest in tax year 2014 that corresponded to adjusted gross income of between 50 grand and 100 grand was $7,553. Um, the uh, taxes um, that were taken as write-offs um, that corresponded to that adjusted gross income range of between 50 to 100 grand was $6,679. And charitable contributions that corresponded to adjusted gross income of between 50 grand and 100 grand in tax year 2014 was $3,147. Let's move on to self-employment income. This is a huge area um, in, 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 the, in light of the fact that 
we have Uber and we have Airbnb, and that a significant cross-section of the U.S. population has uh, one or more of these uh, side freelancing jobs. So what does this mean? Well, with, uh, with a significant cross-section of the U.S. population um, having these side hustles of um, Ubering part-time or uh, renting their home out on Airbnb, um, that triggers self-employment taxes. And um, there is, of course, a self-employment tax liability. Generally speaking, if you earn more than $400 from self-employed work, including freelance and consulting work, you will owe Social Security and Medicare taxes on those earnings. So how is this accomplished and how is this reported? You report the income from your side hustle using Form 1099. The IRS receives a copy of that form. If your version of what you earned doesn't match the 1099 figures, meaning if the uh, if when I refer to your version of what you earned, I'm referring to the amount that you declare on your income tax return. So if your version of what you earn doesn't match the 1099 figures, there's a good chance that you'll hear from the IRS. And that's because the IRS doesn't have to go very far to um, identify the problem and identify the discrepancy. They merely have to do a stare and compare. They merely have to take the form 1099 and compare it with the tax return where you voluntarily um, disclosed the amount of um, income that was generated from your side hustle. And as I said, if there is a discrepancy between the two, well, the IRS need only point to that and they don't need to go digging in search of any um, uh, smoking gun in order to show that there is a uh, that, that there was some um, shenanigans going on. Interestingly enough, more than half of the nation's $458 billion tax gap is due to underreporting by self-employed taxpayers. And just let me back up for a second. What I mean by tax gap is um, it's defined by the IRS as what the IRS deems to be the amount of true tax liability that is not paid voluntarily and timely. Um, so we have a voluntary um, tax system in the United States where the government entrusts uh, taxpayers to come forward and self-report their gross income and deductions for the tax year. However, the IRS is not uh, naive enough to believe that everybody um, appropriately reports their gross income and uh, that they don't attempt to hide um, their uh, gross income or overstate their deductions. And so that's what is meant by the tax gap, what the IRS deems to be the amount of true tax liability that is not paid voluntarily and timely. And the figure that the IRS has um, uh, tabbed as the tax gap is a whopping $458 billion dollars. 
So more than half of the nation's $458 billion tax gap, if you can wrap your mind around this, is due to underreporting by self-employed taxpayers. So if there's any doubt in your mind that self-employed income could trigger a red flag, um, it will be all erased uh, by this statistic and by the fact that the IRS um, acknowledges that um, more than half of this staggering $458 billion tax gap is due to underreporting by self-employed taxpayers. Since the IRS doesn't have independent means to verify amounts reported on Schedule C, which is the profit or loss uh, from a business, uh, these returns quickly become the target of audits. Moving on now to home offices. This is an interesting area um, that also gets um, a red flag uh, attributed to it. Since the 2013 tax year, the IRS has offered a simplified option for claiming a home office deduction. It's almost equivalent to the gas and mileage um, option, uh, where if you don't keep track of your uh, gas and your mileage, there is a standard deduction that is available to you. And at the end of the day, when you do a, when you compare what the standardized option is for uh, gas and mileage versus what you would um, painstakingly have calculated if you had all of your receipts, they almost zero one another out. And so similarly in the home office, um, area, the IRS has this simple option for claiming a home office deduction. If you have a legitimate home office, the IRS says that you can write off $5 per square foot up to a max of 300 square feet or $1,500 while still being able to claim expenses like mortgage interest on property taxes in full on your Schedule A. Now, just like with gas and mileage, taxpayers can elect to use the regular method, which means that they have to have all of their, um, you know, their uh, receipts um, from the gas and mileage that they accumulated uh, during the course of the tax year, and then they have to sit down and they have to basically add it all up, and that's pick and shovel work. Um, so a lot of people uh, opt to simply rely on the option. But assuming, uh, and now we're back into the home office sphere, assuming that the taxpayer uses the regular method to determine the actual expenses of their home office, um, and these uh, regular and these expenses include mortgage interest, insurance, utility, repairs, and depreciation. So assuming that the taxpayer uses a regular method, um, um, to determine the actual expenses of their home office, um, these would be uh, these are based on the percentage of the home devoted to business use. Because the tax savings caused by using the regular method over the simplified method is virtually identical, the IRS will now views taxpayers who calculate their home office deductions with a healthy dose of skepticism. Again, the IRS is basically. Um, the IRS is basically looking at this from the perspective that 
you know, why would the taxpayer go through all of the heartache of calculating these, um, you know, their home office expenses when we are offering this simplified option and at the end of the day, they basically zero one another out. So to the extent that the taxpayer uses a regular method to determine their um, their home office uh, usage and the um, and the uh, extent to which they can deduct their um, uh, they can deduct uh, and take advantage of the home office deduction. Um, the IRS uh, views that with a healthy dose of skepticism. Um, again, because they feel that the simplified option for claiming a home office deduction is far is far. Um, far less complicated, and uh, why would the taxpayer resort to all of this effort when, at the end of the day, they're going to zero one another out? Rental properties. Taxpayers with rental properties can receive preferential tax treatment if they can prove they are real estate professionals. That's the number one caveat. If you qualify, you can deduct losses from the properties and other real estate against other unrelated income. And that, of course, is an enticing benefit. Now, before you get too excited, understand that there are rules to qualifying to be a real estate professional, and those rules have to be satisfied in order to receive this preferential tax treatment that um, is available for a real estate professional. So you can't... Um, arbitrarily deem yourself a real estate professional because you uh, tinker in the real estate field. You have to make sure that you satisfy the requirements. Some of those requirements consist of spending a minimum of 750 hours a year working on the rental property. Uh, That actually translates into 14 hours a week for 52 weeks. If renting property is not your full-time job, the IRS may investigate to see if you uh, meet the requirements to take the deduction. Now, let's wrap this up with a uh, quick and dirty discussion on the dirty dozen, no pun intended. Every year, the IRS issues its equivalent of the FBI's most wanted list, which it affectionately refers to as the dirty dozen. These are in IRS uh, vernacular, the common schemes that peak during tax filing season. Naturally, uh, no taxpayer wants to have a return with any of the most wanted items on it, since that naturally would be a huge red flag. In fact, it would not not just be a red flag, it would be the um, equivalent of waving that red um, that red towel in front of a bull. Um, so you don't want to have a return that um, contains a majority of these most wanted items on it, especially since these schemes um, can increase your likelihood of being examined. So among the list or uh, among the list of um, things that are on the dirty dozen list uh, or uh, yeah among the things that have made it on the dirty dozen list is return prepare fraud this is basically where uh, the 
where a paid preparer is allowed to claim false positions in order to inflate refunds, frivolous tax arguments, uh, bogus tax credits, and uh, frivolous tax arguments uh, also encompass tax protester arguments um, such as those uh, where the taxpayer argues that um, there should not be a federal income tax um, because one of the founding fathers um, you know, made a statement during the time of the uh, past, during the time of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. They get so far-fetched, it's not even funny. But um, that the frivolous tax arguments does encompass um, tax protester arguments. Uh, some of the other items to have made the Dirty Dozen list, bogus tax credits, donations to fake charities, and padding deductions. If you have any questions about anything that we chatted about in this podcast, feel free to reach out for me. Um, the best way of doing so is emailing me at mjdebliss at deblisslaw.com.